Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21. Thanks so much for joining us. We are studying prophecy in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and in this episode and the next, we're going to tackle some of the more difficult topics in biblical prophecy, but the essential topic in that we're talking about the millennium, and I'm going to be sharing with you the various millennial views because it's based upon these, really, when you pick up a book and you're interested in a book on biblical prophecy, Catholic, and I know Catholics read Protestant books on biblical prophecy, uh, you want to know what millennial viewpoint they're coming from, and it can be a bit confusing. But bottom line, the millennium refers to the 1,000-year period that's mentioned six times in Revelation chapter 20. And that's where the mille in Latin, where you get the word millennium from. And I have a handout. Just write us at askthehost at gmail.com. And anytime you write us for a handout or anything, if you can mention an episode number, it really helps. This is episode 320. And this is basically an updated version of the three views of the millennium I shared with you before. I tried to strengthen a little bit the definition of Amil. And let me just begin with a secret, okay? Uh, There's a huge debate uh, amongst Protestants and between Protestants and Catholics over biblical prophecy regarding the timing of the rapture. But very even experts, and I'm talking about people who are nationally known for teaching the rapture at any moment uh, type of view, they have spent very little time investigating any other millennial view other than the pre-mill view, the one they hold. And the reason why that's so important is because the rapture question is a subset of the millennial question. So if you're pre-mill, okay, you're also going to be one of the rapture folks are going to be pre-mill. But if pre-mill isn't true, then the whole rapture at any moment thing, it goes away. But yet they haven't even dreamed that the pre-mill might be wrong, even though they debate the timing of is the rapture before, after, in the middle of the great tribulation. So, This is so reinforced, and I'd like to kind of share with you how you can be a firm biblical believer and not go for the pre-mill view, because they couple their love for the Scripture, which is highly commendable, their belief in the inerrancy and truthfulness of Scripture, which is highly commendable, that it prevents them any other view, or maybe even considering any other view than the pre-mill view. So, uh, what the pre-mill view is, is that Before the millennium, before that thousand-year period in Revelation 20, will be the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then after that, you're going to have a messianic 1,000-year kingdom. And they are going to see, they see a lot of the Old Testament Jewish promises, the, the prophecies for the messianic kingdom fulfilled in that period. Now, 
this was reflected actually on the day of Pentecost, and the early church was divided, but many in the early church believed in this pre-mill view and listened to the book of Acts. This is just before Jesus ascends into heaven. Acts 1 and verse 6, when they had come together, they asked him, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And, you know, it obviously wasn't, but the pre-mill people see the restoration of the kingdom, the messianic kingdom is going to occur after the second coming of Jesus Christ. So it's definitely in the future, okay? Now, there's a second view. Actually, there's three main views, but we're going to hit the third one, and you think that may not be important. Wait till you wait till next episode. <laughs> it's really important. But in any case, the second view held by Catholics, Orthodox, and many Protestants is called the Amel view, which is a terrible name, really, because ah before millennium means no millennium. And it's not like the amillennialists uh, deny the millennium, but they believe that it's a kingdom that's present now. It's a present day millennium. And they say, well, you know, it's, it, it doesn't seem to be uh, real visible. And there's seven kingdom parables in Matthew 13. These are kingdom parables about the messianic kingdom and the nature of it. And right in the middle of Matthew 13, the disciples asked Jesus, how come parables? And in a way, uh, the parables, Jesus said, well, because seeing they don't see. Remember, there's a lot of people in Israel that were within feet of the Son of God come to earth and looking into the face of Jesus, and they missed him, okay? So basically, Jesus in Matthew 13 was saying, well, they're going to see but not see. He's talking, in again, a chapter of seven parables about the Messianic kingdom. He says, with them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy Isaiah says, you shall indeed hear, but never understand. You shall indeed see, but never perceived. And your heart is grown dull. Your ears are heavy of hearing and their eyes are closed. They don't see it. And he goes, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. Now, even on the day of Pentecost, the disciples are thinking this, going to simply, okay, he's going to heaven. He's going to be the king. They believe that. He finally believe that he's going to rise from the dead, because he did, and now he's going to set up a Jewish, earthly, physical kingdom, kind of like the kingdom of David. No, Jesus had something a lot bigger, better, and more glorious in store, and it's the idea of his reign that is in the present. It, from the future, it has come into the present. It's a present-day, realized, messianic kingdom. And that's been the predominant view since uh, Tychonius, St. Augustine, and it's gone on through the ages of the church. Now, why do people reject that? Well, again, they, they're thinking that to go for the Amil because, and again, it's better to say present-day millennium rather than try to deny a millennium. It's, for instance, it's mentioned six times in Revelation 20, but they say, well, you don't take the Bible literally. Well, do we take the Bible literally consistently? For instance, in Revelation 20, this is the chapter with the six references to the millennium, it begins in verse 2 and says, 
and he seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan. So let's take this literally. Is Satan literally a dragon? Or pick, take your pick. Is he literally a serpent? Most people would say no, but these are uh, vivid images. Like, I don't like snakes. I haven't run into too many dragons in my life, so I can't speak to that, but I don't like snakes. And so it's, it's like the ancient serpent, slippery, deceitful, whatever. It's the devil and Satan. Well, you know, um, you don't take the second verse of Revelation 20, literally, most people. Uh, here's another question. Does 1,000, because it's mentioned 1,000 six times in Revelation 20, does 1,000 always mean 1,000, or does it mean something else? For instance, in Psalm 50, it says, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Now, I haven't counted, but I happen to know there's a lot more than 1,000 hills in the world with cattle on them. So does that mean hill number 1,001, God doesn't own? No. What is it saying? 1,000, God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. It's just a simple, simple, simple way of saying a lot or everything, okay? Can 1,000 simply mean a very long time? It says in Deuteronomy 7, therefore, the Lord your God is the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, okay? That's a long time, a thousand generations, but let's just say you happen to be unlucky and you're 1,000 and first generation. Is God not faithful to you? Of course not. It's simply trying to say a thousand by a long time, God is enduringly faithful to you and your family, okay? And then I ask this question, are all the numbers in Revelation to be taken literally? And you've already seen it kind of gets difficult if you really start pressing this home. Or are they to be taken biblically? In other words, use the Bible to comprehend what St. John was trying to convey in the book of Revelation. Uh, honestly, this is like a uh, in literary form what Spielberg would want to do through a movie, and I'm not talking about cheap special effects, but special effects to try to really grab the imagination to convey a message. So let's let's just see how we can take the Bible biblically and not literally by just turning the page from Revelation 20 to Revelation 21. In Revelation 21, verse 12, it sees the new Jerusalem coming down to earth and a great high wall. And I see the one talking to me says, here's a measuring rod, go measure the city. And said, the city lies four square and it has 12,000 stadia. Its length and breadth and height are equal, okay? Length, breadth, and height. It's a cube and it's 1,400 to 1,500 miles long, wide, and high. Now, I have said before on Luke 21 that nobody believes that the walls of New Jerusalem are going to be 1,500 miles high. And believe it or not, I just read a very fine book by an evangelical writer that I highly respect and everything else, but he claimed 
that what we have to look forward to in the New Jerusalem are walls 1,500 miles high. I couldn't believe it. What, what is John trying to say? Well, he said this is a cube of astronomical proportions. Okay, cube. We could take this literally, as this respected evangelical writer did, or we could take it biblically. Let's think cube, 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 cube. What's a cube? What's the most important cube other than what's described right here? Well, if you turn the Old Testament, the important, most important cube was 20 by 20 by 20. It was called the Holy of Holies. It was the place with the holy presence of God and all its power and glory. And it was so holy, the high priest, only with certain preparations, was allowed to go in for a limited amount of time and then only once a year. And then he had a rope around his leg in case he wasn't accepted into the holy presence of God so they could yank him out. Okay? And now the New Jerusalem, John is saying, the length and the width and the height are all equal. This is the cube, and it's not 20 by 20 by 20. It's 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. What in the world is John saying? That the new Jerusalem, the presence of God, is going to be so encompassing, and it's not just for the high priest for an hour once a year. This is for everybody, all time, all eternity, and it's going to be immense. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be powerful. It's going to just be beyond anyone's imagination how glorious it would be. That's why it was 12,000 stadia. It wasn't that he's trying to think you're going to have, you know, like a prison fortress with, with a wall 1,200 to 15, excuse me, 1,500 miles high. No, it's the presence of God. And that's how we take Revelation 20 and 21 and think biblically and not all the times crass literalism. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 320 of Luke 21 Radio. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at luke21.com.